3: Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times.
4: And I'm Greg Cott. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Today on the world's
3: only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I name our favorite live albums of all time. Just in time for summer concert season. Then we're going to take a look at the new concert album from rock legend Leonard Cohen.
4: You are listening to Sound Opinions, and now it's time for some music news.
3: That's Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips, of course. Great song by a great band. This story that's been unfolding over the last two weeks is is really kind of ludicrous in a way. <laughs> it seems a couple of months ago, the uh, Oklahoma state government sponsored a contest inviting residents of that fine state to vote for their favorite rock song of all time. The contenders included the All-American Rejects, Leon Russell, The Call. I don't know why they didn't have... One toke over the line, sweet Jesus. Uh, Mm -hmm. That wasn't on there. But The Flaming Lips, Do You Realize, was. And it won by a margin of two to one. So The Flaming Lips are set to become the state song of Oklahoma. When I did the biography of The Flaming Lips, the subtitle was, you know, Oklahoma's fabulous Flaming Lips, right? They have always been very proud of their home state, although it is very much in the red and the flaming lips are very much in the blue. Mm. But there is this contrarian history in Oklahoma, you know, people like Will Rogers and and Woody Guthrie, who were for the working man and and didn't always rub the power structure right seems as this got to a vote in the state legislature. The the House in Oklahoma was aghast that Michael Ivins, the bassist of the Flaming Lips, recently appeared in public and was photographed wearing a hammer and sickle T-shirt. Oh, my God. (laughs) Communist symbol. Horrifying. Plus, at another appearance, Wayne had... Oh, my goodness. Dropped a profanity. (laughs) So the Republicans gathered together and they voted against the lips, even though the people of Oklahoma had spoken. Mm. Then the governor comes in. Governor Henry of the state of Oklahoma said, I am going to respect the people's votes. And he passed an executive order naming it at least as long as he's in power. Do you realize the state song of Oklahoma? Personally, I think the whole thing is is really kind of funny. I don't I, you know, they, the lips, I think, should have adopted the Groucho Marx thing of, of do they really want to belong to any club that would have them as a member? And to the Republicans, I say, clearly, you didn't look too hard at the flaming lips. You know, they once wrote a song called Jesus shooting heroin. There's a <laughs> lot of reasons to get upset at the flaming lips besides that hammer and sickle.
4: John's personal bank account, Jim, is a few bricks shorter of gold bullion this morning. (laughs) The UK Sunday Times did a, a poll of the wealthiest rock stars, among other Categories and they have concluded that it's been a rough year for a British rock royalty. Elton John, in particular, had a very very tough 2008. He lost a quarter of his wealth, down to 250 million dollars. Now I fully understand why this man has to charge four five hundred dollars for his concerts.
3: Guy's gonna be eating ramen
4: noodles. Absolutely. How does he get by? Poor Paul McCartney lost 12 percent of his wealth. He's all the way down, Jim. I don't know how he's doing it. 640 million dollars. And Mick Jagger of the Rolling Stones, a 16% decline all the way down to 278 million. The one man who has survived this recession in the the British rock royalty system who seems to have come out of the recession okay is Clive Calder, the founder of Zomba Records, the man who brought us Britney Spears and your friend R. Kelly. His personal wealth remains at $1.9 billion. But
3: really, after the first billion, who counts? Yes.
4: That, of course, is from Frampton Comes Alive, one of the uh, iconic live albums of all time. Came out in the 70s, the the heyday of the live album, the double gatefold sleeve live album. And on this occasion, we have another live double CD to celebrate, the Leonard Cohen Live in London double CD, which we're going to review later on in the show. It inspired us to think about what are our favorite live albums of all time the records that have meant the most to us. Uh, You know, a lot of people think about live albums and think, well, it's kind of a throwaway. It's the contract filler. Right. The one that gets... uh, The
3: greatest hits and the live album. Yeah,
4: it buys the artist some time to write some more songs for their next proper album. But, Jim, there have been some live albums that I think really make the case as perhaps
3: the best records in a particular artist's entire catalog. That can be said. I mean, I'm generally dubious. I think it's usually a souvenir of a moment that was elusive. It was here. It was gone. That's what's wonderful about the concert experience. This is on our mind. In addition to the Leonard Cohen record we're going to review, we are gearing up for summer concert season. In fact, tonight we have to see Britney Spears. It's going to be a long, brutal summer. We're going to be (laughs) in the stadium of bleachers quite a bit. So what elevates a regular concert to a great concert and then what makes a great concert worth hearing on an album that's what we're going to look at as we talk about our favorites to get these shows rolling we always flip a sound opinions coin i think on one uh, side you're going to have uh, frampton comes alive on mine i'm going to have cheap trick at Budokan. two of the best-selling live albums ever and it is frampton you get to go first
4: Thank you, Jim. Very difficult to narrow this down to just a few picks, but uh, the one live album that I think I've loved for many, many years and that I don't think is properly recognized by many people as a great live album, a lot of people don't even know it exists, but uh, it's Bill Withers live at Carnegie Hall. It was a 1972 concert by what I consider one of the great songwriters of the 70s. This is a humble guy. Grew up in uh, West Virginia, spent nine years in the Navy, was a factory worker in L.A. He was into his 30s before his recording career even started. And I think some of that wisdom and experience shines through his songwriting and especially in the way that he related to that audience on this night in 1972. It was a tumultuous time in this country. The Vietnam War, racial riots... Withers addressed them all in his songwriting. The album is worth it alone for the rapport that he had with that audience. Those those introductions to songs like Grandma's Hands and I Can't Write Left Handed are really powerful and moving and really bring you into the concert hall and what happened that night. The energy that was there that night. The interaction he had with his band members It's all happening on this version Of Use Me, one of his great hits That I think is elevated even further By its live performance on the Live at Carnegie Hall album It's Bill Withers with Use Me on Sound Opinions with a great version of Use Me. I think it blows away the studio version. And I think that's one of the reasons that these live albums work
3: is when they elevate the studio versions of the songs. I suppose you could look at that, Mr. Codd. I think that uh, great live albums work when they tell a story, when uh, there's a particular historic context that is translated with the music, and it goes above and beyond. Wednesday, October twenty fourth, 1962. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf had just opened on Broadway. Rear Window is uh, doing Bofo Box Office, Alfred Hitchcock's movie. Harry Belafonte is playing at the Americana Hotel in New York. And the world is about to end. (laughs) It is the middle day of the 13-day crisis known as the Cuban Missile Crisis. The uh, American ships are steaming toward the quarantine zone of soviet freighters secretary of state dean rusk would be quoted as saying we looked eyeball to eyeball with the soviets and the other guy blinked that's an apocryphal Mm -hmm. quote but anyway the nukes were coming in the middle of that on that night up in harlem james brown is playing the apollo theater now this is not musically speaking the best james brown live album but this night with the famous flames sociologists look at crises uh you know the baby boom happened because the world was going to end in World War II, and lots of people found each other uh, in each other's arms, and a lot of babies were born. <laughs> Same thing happened on September 11th. Okay, there was a, a real spike after the Cuban Missile Crisis of babies being born because when the world's about to end, you, you you find love in in someone that you trust. Right, that is in the air, and it's an electric atmosphere. It's a very cold night. The Apollo is a notoriously hostile crowd. James Brown's record company did not want him to make this record. Brown was looking to reach a new audience. He wanted to make a a move forward. He thought it would be best to do it live. Ray Charles had had a huge hit with a live album. Mm -hmm. Brown couldn't find the money. He paid for it himself. And to get the crowd primed, he went up and down the lines of people standing on the cold streets of Harlem and bought them apparently coffee and and hot chocolate. I probably think James Brown was passing the bottle up and down the line, right? And there is this sexual tension, this kind of we're at the end of something but the beginning of something that is in every note of Live at the Apollo. I know I'm not making this up. When I was a kid and I first heard this album, I was like – What is this? This is something different. And I've always wondered what the story was. I can never get enough of this album. I I think it's a fascinating case study. I'm going to play one of the medleys that round out this album. I Found Someone, Why Do You Do Me, Want You So Bad, three songs run together in about two minutes by James Brown and the famous Flames at the Apollo in 62 on Sound Opinions.
5: I found someone to love me. London. Why did it happen to play? What has taken my place? What oh, to share my embrace? Oh, why do you do me like you do
3: Second of two great medleys on James Brown live at the Apollo on Sound Opinions. Mr. Cott, you got another great live album cut? I do indeed, Jim. Uh, I want to go to uh,
4: a live album by Ani DeFranco that came out in 1997 called Living in Clip. To my mind, this is uh, the best album she ever made. She's put out albums for 20 years. She's the epitome of the do-it-yourself artist, traveling from town to town in a beat-up car with a guitar and a strange, eye-popping haircut that certainly mm-hmm. got a, got her noticed in the South, maybe for all the wrong reasons a lot of times. It's tough for a woman out there alone traveling the country as she did. And nonetheless, she forged a career town by town, listener by listener, by taking her music on the road and playing for people. And this album, for that reason, I think documents her the best of all her releases. I don't think she's ever quite captured this same energy, this same passion as she did in this live document, Living in Clip, in 1997. I think the song that epitomizes what this album is about and what Ani DeFranco is about is a song, Every State Line, in which she talks about that very experience of going from town to town and fighting against stereotypes, fighting against the fact that not many people knew who she was and she was going to forge ahead anyway and play her songs. This is Every State Line from Ani DeFranco on Sound Opinions.
6: I over
7: in West Texas so they could look inside my car he said, Are you an American citizen? I said, Yes, sir. So far, they made sure I wasn't smuggling like someone in from Mexico. Someone willing to settle for America. Cause there's nowhere else to go. <laughs> I broke down in Louisiana and I had the thumb a ride. Right. Got in the first car that pulled over, can't be picky in the middle of the night. He said, Baby, do you like to fool around? He's a baby, do you like to be touched. I said, Maybe some other time, he love you very much. They like my clothes Can't wait to get back to New York City Or at least when I walk down the street No one ever hesitates To tell me exactly what they feel
4: That's Ani DeFranco from her live album Living in Clip. We're going to continue our discussion of our favorite concert albums of all time after a short break on sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. And later on, Jim and I are going to review the new live album from Leonard Cohen.
7: I was taking up too much space As I was trying to get some sleep Cause an officer came by anyway And told me I had to leave Yeah, every single There's a new set of laws And every policeman Comes at and it clothes There's a thousand shades of white And a thousand shades of black with the same rule always applies. smile pretty watch your back smile pretty watch your back smile pretty watch your back smile pretty watch
1: your back smile way watch your back smile way watch your back smile
2: pretty watch your back hello i'm johnny cash I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling around a bend, and I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison,
8: and time keeps dragging on. But that train keeps a-rolling on down the
3: San Antonio. Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Greg Cott and I are using the excuse of summer concert season looming and the occasion of this Leonard Cohen tour and this live album, Live in London, we're going to talk about later, to look at our favorite live albums of all time. I've expressed some skepticism, Greg. Most live albums are just a mere souvenir of the concert experience. The great ones go above and beyond. And the next one I'm going to talk about, I think a lot of people even forget that it is a live album. Kick Out the Jams by the MC5 is on a short list of the best debut albums of all time. Mm -hmm. Certainly the best punk rock albums of all time. The best free jazz meets rock and roll albums of all time. What a great album. Just a great album any way you cut it was recorded live in august of 1968 the motor city five traveled from detroit to our fair city of chicago where the first mayor daly cracked their skulls open with the police forces uh, nightclubs as they were the only band that showed up in what was planned to be a, a mass musical protest of the democratic national convention limped back to detroit and a mere two months later had their opportunity to record the debut album for Electra records they decided to do it live at the Grande Ballroom in Detroit because live was their forte, like the greatest free jazz bands they were you know seriously influenced by faroh sanders and and you know Sun Ra they did it on stage, and it was all about taking things to the next level, and it was this white hot heat mm. as they built and built and built. <laughs> the album famously opens with uh, brother J.C. Crawford of the White Panthers. Uh, he was their religious leader and spiritual advisor, because you see the MC5 was not merely a great rock and roll band from Detroit. They were also going to be the revolution brothers and sisters. Anyway, if you wipe away all that political hoo-ha at this point in time, what you have left is an incredible merger of 50s rock and roll and free jazz spirit into something that would be one of the proto punk albums. And, you know, Rob Tyner, just one of the greatest vocalists of all time. There's not a bad track on this album, Mr. Cott. I know you agree, but my favorite is Rocket Reducer number 62, Ramalama Fa Fa Fa. Listen to Rob Tyner go on this one. Here it is on Sound Opinions. Yeah.
5: So you're on your back, you know i got to keep it up. Satisfied you ain't seen nothing yet I said I'm well, well, thank you, man
4: Rocket reducer number 62 from the MC5 Jim is pick for a great live track Jim and I are going to continue picking some of our favorite live music later on in the show But first let's go to some callers who are going to share in the celebration of the concert album Let's go to Dave from Clarendon Hills Dave, welcome to the show
6: Hey Greg, hey Jim, how you
4: doing? We're doing great Dave And uh, we're doing the best live albums of all time Not necessarily maybe the best for everybody But what is your favorite live album of all time?
6: Well, for me, it's uh, The Who's Live at Leeds. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. It's a good contender. What is
3: it about that album that speaks to you?
6: First of all, I I love the remastered edition that came out on CD in, in 1995. It has a lot more songs than the original vinyl LP. But what I love about it is that it really shows four brilliant musicians at the top of their game. I mean, most people know and, and regard Pete Townsend as just a tremendous guitar player, but I think this recording shows just the brilliance of, of Keith Moon and John Entwistle. It's just a great piece of music.
4: A lot of people th- talk about it as like being the first arena rock record. I mean, it was one of the <laughs> they were probably the loudest band going at the time, and this was kind of like them at peak uh, performance. Uh, what's what's your favorite track on the record?
6: I like young man blues, and um, it's the I think it 's the first cut on the l p version, but its it comes later on in the uh, c d version and it 's a Mose Allison song it wasn 't written by uh, by Townsend or by anybody else in the Who, but it really could be a Townsend song I mean it really deals with themes of alienation and trying to fit in, which is a classic Townsend theme and it, it the song is written, it's structured so that it really gives all of the members of the band a chance to, uh, to show their chops. I really love that song.
3: Let's hear a little bit of Young Man Blues by The Who from The Immortal live at Leeds.
5: Man. All the people, they step back when a young man walked by. Nowadays it's the old man he's got all the money. And a young man ain't got nothing in the world to say. Oh, yeah.
4: That's great stuff. I love that song too, Dave. Oh it's um, tremendous. And uh, it's especially illuminating when you listen to the original version by Mose Allison. What the hood do to that song? It's like two it's like they've completely transformed.
6: Oh I know. And you know, my son actually bought the cd version i had no idea they had re-released it on uh, on cd and it's uh, it's a revelation good pick
3: dave live at Leeds by the who thanks so much for calling thanks talk to you let's talk to another caller about the uh, favorite live album of all time we've got john from chicago welcome to sound opinions john
4: hey how are you guys doing we're doing great we're running down uh, some of our favorite
3: live albums of all time what's your pick
9: My pick is uh, Bob Dylan, live in 1966.
3: Now, this is the record most people think of as Royal Albert Hall, although, in fact, it was not recorded at the Albert Hall. Right, that's it. Where was it, Greg? Ireland. It was in Manchester. It was in Manchester,
4: Manchester. and it was uh, yes. Royal Albert Hall is commonly referred to as this concert, but the the infamous concert that has been bootlegged countless times and finally got officially released. Which I assume you got the official release a few years ago, right? I did the official
9: release. Yeah, it's a pretty clean recording for something that's been bootlegged and has been rumored to be a bootleg forever. I guess.
4: Absolutely, and there's an acoustic half and an electric half. So right. uh, in, in particular, is there a track on this record that you love, love the most?
9: Um, I, it's really the, kind of the whole, the sum total of the record is pretty amazing. The, the first half, the acoustic half, you get Dylan as, uh, as he used to be, and the British crowd's very enthusiastic and supporting him, and they, you know, they're enjoying it. And then there's a couple of really pretty songs on there. Uh, but then the second half is when he, he brings out the band, and it's, it's the band uh, with Robbie Robertson and crew. Mm -hmm. And um, he starts to play loud and really energetic music, and the crowd starts to turn on him. Uh, And then there's one moment right before the the very last track, which is uh, like a Rolling Stone, where uh, an audience member screams Judas at him, and he snarls back, uh, I don't believe you, you're a liar. And then he turns to the band and tells him to play loud.
5: Liar, time you've been so fine. Do the bumps of time in your brain.
9: That track is uh, just one of the most amazing things to hear because. It's an entire band trying to destroy an entire audience.
6: They do a pretty good job.
3: i got to say, John, it's a tough call between that moment and the moment on Metallic KO, the live Stooges album, Mm -hmm. where you literally hear Iggy Pop knocked unconscious by the Hells Angels who were throwing bottles at him. That's tight, you know, for for, for the the most painful moment on a a live album.
9: Yeah, and just the, the, the fierceness that he comes back at that audience with.
3: It's a punk rock record. Yeah. yeah,
9: it really is. It's just amazing to listen to. And the whole band is right with him, just saying, "You know, we've had enough of you guys clapping at us. We're going to play, and you're going to like it, whether you like it or not.
4: Yeah, take that. Yeah, great choice, John. Thanks for calling. Sure, thank you guys. Great choices from our listeners about their favorite live albums. Uh, now it's back to you and me, and Jim. One of my favorite live albums of all time was Live 69 by The Velvet Underground. Absolutely. And I remember it as my introduction to this band. Uh, people forget that the Velvets uh, were more heard about than actually heard after they faded from view. They broke up in 1970. Those four brilliant studio albums quickly went out of print. For a long time, about the only way to find out about this band was to find this live 69 album which documented ironically enough a 1969 tour <laughs> in 1969 the velvet underground was having a great year this was the second part of this band velvet underground mach 2 john Cale and lou reed had basically founded the band in new york city there was a power struggle at the top Cale lost out he was out of the band by now they brought in doug yule to play bass and and keyboards and now it was very much lou reed's band But his songwriting was at the very top of its game in 69. They were working on a new studio album. Uh, They were touring the country. And the frequent touring had turned them into a rhythm machine on the road. Uh, The sound had evolved from what it was in Kale's day, when it was much more chaotic and avant-garde and experimental. With Doug Ewell in the band, uh, joining Reed and Sterling Morrison on guitars and Mo Tucker on drums. This was a sleek rhythm machine. It sounded like a New York subway Mm train roaring down the track. And an example of that is a track from Live 69 called What Goes On. This track, to this day, Jim, is my favorite driving track of all time. When I'm feeling a little sluggish on the road, (laughs) I pop in, what goes on, and I'm back on top of my game, man. This is a great, great driving song. It has that New York City rhythm going, Reed and Morrison on rhythm guitar, and that rinky-dink farfisa organ over the top by Yule droning on. And then Moe just hanging onto that beat like a pit bull. Maureen you know, Tucker. No fills, just straight on yep. the beat all the way through the song Isn't it for like nine a, minutes.
3: It's like nine minutes long, right?
4: It is. And we I, should
3: just do this for the whole rest of the show because I'm with you on this. We could trance
4: out with this, but uh, we'll give you a taste of what goes on from the Velvet Underground Live 69 on Sound Pinions One
2: minute.
3: goes on by the mighty Velvet Underground. Greg Kott's pick, 1969 Live, is the album. Must be said, Lou Reed has a lot of great live albums. Also, a love Live in Italy with the uh, Fernando Saunders, Robert Quine band. Yeah. And Take No Prisoners, which is actually a comedy yeah. <laughs> album where Reed insults all the rock critics in New York. That's worth it for the monologues alone, absolutely. It is just like a Lenny Bruce album. I'm going to do another pick, Greg. As I said, to me, the best live albums capture a moment in time. And January to April 1977 was the epitome of the punk moment in the UK. There's a great album called Live at the Roxy London WC2. The Roxy was a short-lived rock club in Covent Garden in uh, in London that was home base for all the bands that followed in the wake of the Sex Pistols. Sex Pistols exploded in the summer of 76. Lots of people heard that band and said, I can do this. Whether they were really educated, smart art school students, graduates like the guys in Wire, or whether they were working class guys like the Damned, who thought I can I can pick this up too, or long since forgotten bands like Slaughter and the Dogs, or a young woman of African descent who had been a reggae performer as a teen, her name was uh, Marion Joan Elliott, reinvented herself as Polly Styrene. <laughs> It must be said, Live at the Roxy is not a good-sounding album. This was a basement hole of a dump that was closed down by the government in London in about six months. Mike Thorne was a young American who found himself in England. Uh, he would go on to be a, a really famous record producer. He did all of the the Wire albums in the first incarnation, uh, stuff like Till Tuesday with Amy Mann. At this point, he didn't know what he was doing, but he thought that this was a really cool scene, and somehow he scrounged some recording equipment, and he recorded basically all the bands that played there from January to April. To me, despite the sketchy sound, there is an energy that flows through all this of people... You know, no matter what their talents, and Polystyrene really couldn't sing, just as Laura Logic, who played Saxophone and X-ray Specs, really couldn't play, didn't matter. It was it was a celebration of I can get up there and do something, I can express my personality. This is the first Riot Girl song. You know, on the recorded version of Oh Bondage Up Yours, <laughs> Polystyrene says, Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. I say, Oh bondage up Yours. Here on stage at the Roxy, she just dives right into it. It's a ferocious version, has to be celebrated. X ray specs on sound opinions. Bondage Up Yours by X Ray Specs from Live at the Roxy London WC2. What a swell album. If you want to share your favorite live albums or comment on anything we say on Sound Opinions, call our hotline 888 859 1800 or email us at interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media with more of our favorite concert albums plus a review of Leonard Cohen's new live CD.
4: Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Greg Cott, he's Jim DeRogatis, and we're running down some of our favorite live albums of all time. Jim, I intentionally left this one for last in my selections because, to my mind, it is uh, the definitive performance by one of the definitive artists of the last 15 years. That's Kurt Cobain of Nirvana. I don't think Cobain ever gave a better performance than the one he gives not only on this live album, but on this particular song that I'm going to play. The the album I'm referring to is MTV Unplugged in New York. The only thing horrible about this album is, is the that title. title. Uh, <laughs> it is just god-awful. And they, it makes them sound like corporate chills, which I suppose, okay, they're playing along with MTV. But consider this. The band had rarely, if ever performed acoustically before so it was a brave move on their part to come in here and and do these songs acoustic stripped down without the armor of all that feedback and noise that you know was frankly a a big part of their stage show the fact that cobain would uh you know march around on stage and abuse himself and throw himself into instruments and here he is sitting down okay kid what have you got Mm -hmm. are there real songs underneath all that noise and then secondly instead of using this as an opportunity to shill market his latest record he devotes half the set to covers by some of his favorite artists many of which are pretty obscure I mean, here he is championing this band, The Meat Puppets, who mm-hmm. many very few people had heard. This band, The Vaselines, who had put out like 3,000 copies of this record in, in the U.K. in the 80s. And here he is resurrecting one of their songs, Jesus Doesn't Want Me for a Sunbeam. And everybody's going, my God, what is that? That's a beautiful song. And then finishing the concert with the song that I think is the tour de force, the greatest vocal performance of Cobain's career, and, and, and one of the great live performances of all time, his cover of Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep last night. A song that had been sort of filtering around the Seattle grunge scene. Uh, Mark Lanigan of The Screaming Trees had performed this song. Uh, Lanigan and Cobain were friends. He knew of the song. It related very much to some of the things he was going through in his life at the time. Remember, this is a recording done in late '93. A few months later, Kurt Cobain would take his own life. He was going through a lot of troubles, not only with his record label, but reportedly with his marriage to Courtney Love. And I think you can hear a lot of that pain in, in this song. We're not talking just about a man who sounds hurt on this record, but mortally wounded. That scream at the end of the record, that haunts me for the rest of my life. Here it is. This is Kurt Cobain performing Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep Last Night from MTV Unplugged in New York on Sound Opinions.
5: In the pines, in the pines Where the sun don't ever shine I will shiver the whole night through My girl, my girl Don't lie to me Tell me where did you sleep last night In the pines.
3: Nirvana Unplugged in New York, MTV. Where did you sleep last night? It must be said, when we do a show like this, uh, it's like the first one who responds with, I claim this one. (laughs) So you instantly said, I claim 69 Live by the Velvets and and Nirvana Unplugged in New York. You know, since I compared the Decemberists a few weeks ago on this show to the immortal (laughs) Jethro Tull, a couple of people have said... Yeah, yeah, I, I knew that was the connection, and and good for you for saying you applaud Jethro Tull. And I do. I do applaud Jethro Tull. In fact, I think there's a uh, predominance of, of great live albums from the progressive rock end of the spectrum. Yes Songs, 1973, great triple live album. Genesis Live in 73 and also Seconds Out in 77— ELPs pictures at an exhibition, and Pink Floyd's Ummagumma. But I'm going to go with the Tull because they've been on my mind, and and people have been wondering, you know. And people actually have even asked Colin Malloy, you know, those guys on Sound Opinion said, you know, December is <laughs> sound like Jethro Tull, and they do in in the sense of combining that ancient Celtic folk. Sound, mm-hmm. along with the heavy metal rock guitar. I love this record. You know, it was after Heavy Horses. It was Tull at its height. It, it is the best lineup of the band. There's actually like three or four members of Fairport Convention have passed through Jethro Tull. But this was when they rocked hardest. Uh, a great drummer named Barrymore Barlow, Martin Barret on guitar, two keyboardists who were playing, you know, synthesizers and glockenspiel and marimba and pipe organ and all this stuff. <laughs> right? the, uh, one of whom is now a, a woman was a man at the time this record was made. It's called Bursting Out, and I think it is, uh, it is a great overview of Jethro Tull if you don't own any, and you should. I'm going to play a song called Too Old to Rock and Roll, Too Young to Die by Jethro Tull on Sound Opinions. The
5: old rock of war isn't long
8: War is, is drowned comes too tight Unfashionable to the
9: hand dragged his head
2: to light. And Pats
5: <inaudible> had fell, buckled yesterday's dreams. The trouble can robbing <inaudible> on him. ringing her in his, double doubles her and one in his, Too old to rock and roll, too young to die. Yes, he was too old to rock and roll, too young to
4: die. Too old to rock and roll, too young to die from Jethro Tull. Jim DiRigatis just cannot get over Jethro Tull. I'm done now for at least a year or two. (laughs) And now let's go to the album that inspired this show about looking back at the best live recordings of all time.
0: I've heard there was a secret chord that David played and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? It goes like this, the fourth the fifth, the minor fall, the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah.
4: That is Hallelujah from Leonard Cohen's hallelujah. new double CD, Live in London. Leonard Cohen, one of the great songwriters of the last half century, a published poet and novelist, did not begin his recording career until he was into his 30s. And quickly became one of the most celebrated songwriters of his generation. Started out in the folk movement in uh, the late 60s. His songs appeared in that Robert Altman movie, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And elevated him to a level of fame that put him up alongside songwriters like Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell and Patti Smith as as the best of, of the last 30, 40 years. Hallelujah, the song we just heard, has been covered numerous times. Jeff Buckley, perhaps the most famous version. John Cale also did a bang-up version of it. It appeared no less than twice in the kids' movie Shrek in 2001 in versions by John Cale and Rufus Wainwright. His songs have been covered countless times. He has been off the road for 15 years. It's a major event that he is back on the road at the age of 74, touring the United States as we speak. So this record is well-timed for his comeback. We're going to review the new live CD in a minute, but uh, let's play a track from it first. Here is one of Cohen's most famous songs, Bird on the Wire, from live in London on Sound Opinions.
0: Like a bird on the wire Like a drone in you know. an
3: The Wire by Leonard Cohen, live in London, recorded in concert at the O2 Arena, July 17, 2008. Greg, you and I are both looking forward to seeing him here in Chicago next week, and as you can tell from uh, those two recordings we just sampled, if you get a chance to see him in your city, go, because he is in prime form at age 74 and i do think this is one of those rare live albums that are more than a souvenir because one of the problems if you are a young person who hears suzanne or bird on the wire or hallelujah and wants to discover more about leonard cohen you know his actual studio albums aren't always the best versions of his songs because they're often overproduced the cohen studio hallelujah is is kind of You know, sappy and sugary and overproduced. That's a nice (laughs) way to put it. I mean, the guy is so talented. You can hear what's great about the song, but, but it's a little obscured in his version in the studio versus Kale's version or Buckley's or Wainwright's. This is him on stage at 74, sounding as gravelly voiced as ever. Flirting with some great backing harmonists, the Webb sisters, who he keeps telling they're beautiful, and he keeps telling us, the audience, I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you for coming to see me. There's a, a humility to the guy. He's just thrilled to be on stage with a great band playing his songs, and that comes through, and you can't not love this album on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale. Absolutely a buy it record. I have a few reservations about this record,
4: Jim. Uh, The band is huge. Sometimes he feels tempted to use it because there are so many instruments on stage. I could use two or three fewer saxophone solos. You know, I really don't need to hear those. It's a long record. It's too long. And and some of the background vocals a little bit overdone, perhaps. I mean, beautiful in their own way, but overdone. I just want to hear these songs. And uh, as we alluded to earlier, uh, some of the problems with uh, Cohen's own studio records are that they are overdone. And in fact, some of the best versions of his songs are not his. But I have to say this. Cohen's singing has actually gotten better over the years. He doesn't have much of a range, but I think he understands these songs better than ever in some ways, and he sounds great on this record. If you're looking for a one-stop shopping introduction to the guy, you could do a lot worse than this record. You've got all the great songs here in pretty darn good versions. Uh, the version of Hallelujah that he does here on this record blows away the studio version that he did in mm-hmm. 1984. I say it's a buy-it record all the way. A double buy-it for Leonard Cohen live in London. Mr. Cott, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have a raconteur par excellence, Joe Nick Potoski, Mr. Texas. He is the
3: author of a definitive biography of willie nelson as always sound opinions was produced by our ace team of todd bachman jason saldana and robin lynn and our executive producer and fearless leader is tory southside Malatia, a man who you know let me paraphrase robert Christgau when he reviewed the jackson fives live album he's liver than you'll ever be On sound opinions, everyone's a critic. Now it's time to hear what you have to say.
8: Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Jordan. I just finished listening to the show on record stores and record store day. I wanted to tell you a story about when I was younger and went to this place called Bill's Records in Dallas, and I had a friend who had told me that if I go in and said, Moshanda Maliki, that I would get a discount on the records. So I went in there, and this old guy was sitting at the desk, and I Ended in my record and whispered to him that phrase and he gave me this really weird look and said I would hope so and I passed over all of my money and took my records and left and it was really weird so I love record stores but I hated that one thanks bye Hi, my name is Donna. I'm calling from Juneau, Alaska. Every Saturday when I come to work, I get to listen to your show, and it is awesome. Thanks so much about the vinyl. I love record stores. I'm 50, grew up in the record stores, the few that we would have up here in Alaska. And thank you so much for being here. Bye. Hi, Jim. Hi, Greg. My name's Heather Scharfugel. I'm an expat living in Germany. And I podcast her show through iTunes I'm calling a little late I'm calling about the rock and literature show I think something that's missed And nobody talks about Is secure did a song called Killing an Arab it's off of Boys Don't Cry I don't know about you But to me, it's Camus Stranger Standing on the beach with a gun in my hand Staring at the sea, staring at the sand Staring
5: down the barrel at the Arab on the ground The sea is on my mouth, but I hear no sound I'm alive. I'm dead. I'm the stranger. Killing an arrow.
2: I can yeah, that's all. Well. Keep it up. it up. I love you, Shell. Okay.
5: hi. Whichever I choose, it amounts to the same. Absolutely nothing. I'm alive.
8: Hey guys, it's Kevin from New Jersey. Wanted to comment a little late on your Poetic Lyrics show. And I know this is the obvious one, but you got to mention Dylan when you talk about this. And the song that I would pick out is another obvious one, which is Highway 61 Revisited. And the point I want to make about this is there's this great moment in the first verse of that song where... Uh, he's describing God and Abraham and, and all of that. And basically, gets to a point where Ab- Abraham says no. And um, so God says, well, whatever you want to do, that's fine. But the next time you see it coming, you better run. And the great thing is that Dylan then pauses for, I don't know how long, four beats, whatever it is. And you can hear in that pause Abraham thinking, Wait a second, what am I doing here?
5: I say you can do what you want Abe, but uh, next time you see me coming, you better run. Yeah. Well Abe said, well you want this killing done. God said, all on Highway 61.
8: And to me, the moment is poetic, the lyrics are poetic, but the combination of the song And the delivery by Dylan and the lyrics are what really make the the whole thing poetic. So, again, great job on the show, and keep up the good work.
5: Sam said, tell me, quick, man, I got to run.
4: No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline, 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.